Hello and welcome to my podcast, Leaving Religion and Those We Leave Behind. I am your host, Amanda Joy Loveland. And as always, I have another truly beautiful guest today, and I cannot wait to share her episode with you. If you are feeling the call to share your story, please reach out to me. One of the easiest ways is through social media at amanda.joy.loveland. DM me or head over to my website, amandajoyloveland.com. And you'll find a way to contact me there. But also while you're there, make sure to subscribe to my email list. I have several things that I'm working on that I'm really excited to share with you and a lot of freebies as you know, when we're listening to our soul's call, my soul's call is to really assist you in your journey. And so I'm creating some really beautiful freebies that will assist you in moving through your life with a little bit more ease and grace. And with all of that said, let's dive in to the interview with the beautiful Cherie. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Today I'm sitting with Cherie Snyder, right? Did I say your last name right? Yes. Yes. And Cherie is someone that we've known each other for a little while. Actually, it's funny. We've known each other for a long time and then saw each other, I don't know how long ago. And I'm like, how do I, how do we know each other? So it's just kind of funny how our circles are reconnecting and in such a beautiful way. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So I, you and I have kind of been chatting a little bit and you've been one of my like amazing supporters of the podcast. She'll text me quite often. In in fact, we were just talking about that with the last podcast that just, at last episode that just dropped. But um, yeah, I invited you to share your story and you were kind of hesitant, but now you're, you're ready. I, (laughs) I am going to stutter for just a minute. Yes, it's, it's a little intimidating. It's a little nerve wracking, but I feel like it's finally time. Yeah. I think this is one of the, I was sitting in a book club the other night and you know, there's an interesting thing with our stories, right? We hold our stories very dear and they're vulnerable and they're scary and they're all sorts of things. And we hold them really close to us a lot, most of the time. Most of the time we don't share them, especially when there's been trauma or something that we're worried about offending, you know, another person. And yet there's all these beautiful humans that have decided to go out and share their story so vulnerably. And there's all the rest of us like, oh my gosh, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story because I identify with these things and that was so healing and that gave me the courage to then share my story. And, you know, that's what you're doing today is having the courage to share your story so that other people can have the courage to share theirs because it is, it is healing. Not only it's healing for all of us. It is. And all of us have a story and all of us connect to story. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it's so powerful because, you know, kind of like music, it's, there are pieces that just hit your heart and that resonate with you. And you, um, you go, yes. Oh yeah. Yes. A thousand times. Yes. And it ignites us almost in a way to, Mm -hmm. to drop our facade and drop our own vulnerability and step into the fear. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I th- that's that's beautiful. So let's dive in. Are you okay, ready? I'm ready. So did you grow up in Utah? I did. I grew up here. Um, I mean, it's, I, it is a kind of a funny question to ask, right? I know. But, um, and I feel like I ask it almost every podcast. I'm like, I probably should have a different starting question. <laughs> well, I think it's a legit question too, because like every... It... it um. I get asked this quite often, like, did you grow up here? Mm -hmm. And um, for whatever reason, when I say yes, 
their response is often kind of one of shock, like, but you're so normal. <laughs> I don't know what that means. And you live in Orem, which is still, <laughs> yes. I don't know if that's where you grew up, but you are yes. in Utah County, yeah. the bubble. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the next question they often ask me is, what um, nationality are you? And I'm like, high mutt. Like, that's what I am. I'm, I'm high mutt, whatever. Um, oh my God. And I don't know why that's kind of the order of questions, but it is, and mm. it happens a lot. Mm. So um, I just find it funny, but I think it is a pertinent question because there is a, it's, it's different. Mm-hmm. Even like for moving to Salt Lake County back to, to Orem has been a different shift. It's a different type of energy. It's a, oh, it's yeah. a different pull. And sometimes I just stand back and watch and go, all right. Yeah. Yep. I totally understand. I used to travel when I was going through my shift and transition, I would travel down South all the time down to Springdale. And I got to a point to where I could feel the minute I hit the bubble (laughs) and I'm like, Oh my gosh, what is this? And I would tap even more into the energy of it. And I'm like, feels like just a bunch of people running around with their heads cut off. Like we're just moving. We're just moving. We have something to do. We're busy. We're busy. And there's no real, like, where are you going? Yeah. I have to earn my keep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that's exactly how I feel. Yeah. And, um, like you, I, I actually spent all of my summers in Springdale Mm. as a kid from the time I was, I don't know, five till I was 20 ish. And so there's very much a grounding healing energy and there's always that pull. In fact, I have a jar of dirt in Mm. my house, the red, just red rock, red dirt that I will often go to when I'm feeling a little crazy, but there is... I can't keep doing this production and earn mm-hmm. my keep. Where can I just be? Yeah. Yeah. There's a sacredness down there without yeah. question. Yeah. So that's why no wonder I kept being pulled down there when I was going through a lot of shifts in my life. And that's why we do retreats down there. Cause <laughs> it's just so perfect. It's like, yes, let's go down there and let's do a retreat. But you, so you were yeah. raised in Utah or you raised yes. in Utah County. Yes. I, I went to grade school, junior high, high school in the heart of Little old Orem. Yeah. Born and raised Mormon? Yes. So did all the things? All of the things. ABC, one, two, three. Yeah. All of the things. In fact, I, um, it was very rigid, even. Those, were the, those would be the words I, I would use. Why um, rigid? There was morning devotional, 6 a.m. Oh. Um, How many siblings do you have? Um, I have six younger than me, so I'm the oldest of seven. Wow! And yeah, it was very rigid. Like mm-hmm. um, this so is what your family we did. was devout Mormon. Yeah, driven. Wow. Yes. Were you by? Did you buy into it as a kid? Um, <clears throat> there were contradictions that I couldn't understand even as a kid. Um, this is the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I couldn't make, or, you know, and, and family matters and, and ABC. <clears throat> and I don't know how old I was, maybe seven or eight. And I was like, I don't get why there are so many meetings on Sunday. How is this the church of family if we never spend time together as family, mm-hmm. as family on Sunday? Mm-hmm. It's the church of meetings. I was, <laughs> and I remember saying that out loud and thinking that to myself. Yeah, I was like, "This doesn't make sense." It does. There were lots of things that didn't make sense to me, but it was something that I could push down. It mm-hmm. was something that I 
didn't, that wasn't at the forefront at the time Yeah. until I got a little bit older and had children. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hmm, okay, there's other things yeah. that don't make sense. And I do remember feeling as a kid that Sunday was a day of conflict. Like mm-hmm. there was so much tension and it wasn't a day of rest. It yeah. was a day of exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no kidding. So this is your story. Where do you want to go with it? Um, man, I don't even know where to start, honestly. Like, well, were, did you, were you married in the temple? Yeah. With your first husband? Um, no, he's my second husband, but, um, he and I got married in the temple Mm -hmm. and, and even at that, it was, I, I, let me back up. It was a, it was a challenging relationship, um, because I'm very much a, no nonsense. No, I don't do needy very well. Like Mm -hmm. needy people. I don't, it's hard for me to do that. Mm -hmm. Or, um, people that are a little like hold my hand and help me through this. And it's not that I mind doing that. Um, but it was, there was a lack of that and just with him. Um, and so it was hard. It was hard to kind of get on board with, okay, I might have to pull him along. Mm-hmm. And when we decided to get married and we got engaged, um, like I was nervous. I was nervous about that. Mm-hmm. And what I didn't grow up with was knowing that it's okay to change your mind and it's okay to say no. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to um, put yourself first. Mm-hmm. And I didn't grow up with very good boundaries of what that looks like. Or, and I didn't grow up with the mentality of being a martyr Mm -hmm. is not godlike. Yeah. And this was your second marriage? Yes. Do you mind speaking to your first? Sure. Um, Is it, I mean, if it's, if you don't want to and if it's not relevant to the story, it plays right in. Yeah, it plays right in because. um, How old were you when you got with your first marriage? I was 20, maybe. Yeah. I think I was 20 and I turned 21 in November. Mm-hmm. So it was basically shame driven on my part because, you know, the whole premarital sex thing mm-hmm. and you're a sinner and, and that's also a thing that plays into and, and, you know, when you realize, um, where that's the fear behind that, like personally years later, you're just like, wow, that's kind of nuts. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, there was a lot of shame in that. Like I, I've got a rectify this. I've got to make myself worthy again mm-hmm. or redeemable. Mm-hmm. And so he and I got married, but he had a, an addiction problem, like a massive addiction problem. And that's kind of what I knew. Mm-hmm. So, and, and quite frankly, every single significant man in my life has had addiction, hmm. which is also kind of telling like, who are you? Yeah. And, um, if you don't know who you are, you fall into the same patterns of codependency. Oh yeah. So um, he and I were married for like nine months and it was very short and it was very um, aha. And and in that I learned for myself, <clears throat> okay, this is what you want. The, this, is, this is who I wanted. This mm-hmm. is the kind of relationship I wanted. I wanted someone who um, adored me, who could do math. And I know that that sounds weird, but I mean, I had a list, mm-hmm. I had a list of things and I, and that's kind of what I drew. 
So he and I, I mean, it just was not a, in the yeah. cards, I guess. It just, when you're that young and you don't know who you are and um, you're you're basing it off of shame, it can't mm-hmm. last. Right. So um, he and I divorced shortly, you know, nine months after that. Yeah. And then I got remarried. I don't even know the timeline. I can't tell you. Like the whole, like it feels like my whole timeline for the last 25 years or 26 years has been smashed together. And I can't tell you exactly when everything happens. I can give you like specific dates, like when children were born or a significant event happened, but Mm -hmm. I can't tell you like the minutia of it. Right. So, um, my my second husband and I got married and we got married in the temple and I was nervous. Like I had some trepidation and I like, there were red, red flags, yeah. big red flags that I just ignored. And mostly I ignored them because I didn't know I should be paying attention to them or that I could pay attention to them and that they were valid right. and that I was valid and that I had good intuition. Mm-hmm. And like, I was battling with this for a long, long time. Yeah. And, um, at the time I was living, I live, I was living back at home with my parents. And I remember, um, going to my room one evening and pleading, pleading with all of my heart. I don't know what to do. God help. And never before and never since have I had the feeling that came over me that day. And it, it was this, the best way I could possibly describe it was this warm, um, like warm water being poured over my head and all of my cells and all of my DNA and all of my soul was being lit up like pinpricks and fire. Mm-hmm. And it was soothing and calming. And in the, and it was, yes, you need to do this. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I couldn't, I couldn't mesh my head and my heart, but I knew that I right. knew that this was part of my journey. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, Okay. You know, crying in my right. heart, but Trusting. knowing, yeah, like it was a, a it was a complete trust process to yeah. be honest. And, um, and then again, I remember the day we were getting married, getting to the temple and being like, I don't want to do this. I do not mm-hmm. want to do this. And then the remembrance of it's okay. And I was like, okay, all right, I'm going to trust this again. Mm-hmm. So I did. And then, you know, we've, we have four children together and basically what happened, um, I guess it's not basically because it's a process. Right. So, um, he, this, this is my biggest journey and my biggest growth process is he was an addict <clears throat> and it was, a long-term addiction. Mm-hmm. And he, when he and I met, um, he'd been in recovery for maybe five years. And so I was just getting familiar with AA and what that meant. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to reconcile that in my brain of how does this work in religion and right. and, and my simplicity and my naivety. Mm-hmm. It was, you don't need that program. You can just go to church. It will be okay. God will take care of everything. Mm-hmm. Um which clearly is a very, very, very naive practice. And you didn't know any better. No. Yeah, I know you're saying naive and I'm just reassuring you. Yeah. Like my heart's just like, <laughs> you didn't know any better. 
No. Do you mind me asking what he was addicted to? Everything. Okay. Literally. So he's a total addict. Uh, yeah. Um, my first recollection, like when I first realized he'd relapsed, um, we'd been married maybe five years. Mm -hmm. And so he, it was alcohol. And then I found pills mm -hmm. from, he was doctor shopping. Um, and then who knows what else, mm -hmm. but finally he ended with heroin and, um, and as the story kind of unfolds and it always does unfold, mm -hmm. um, he passed away six, about six years ago, a little over six years ago now. And, um, that's when I learned everything, like the whole truth unfolded. Jeez. Mm, and had you guys <clears throat> been divorced before that, or you were still together when you passed? We had been divorced for about a year, maybe a year and a half Okay, when he passed. But in the meantime, like he lived down the street from me mm -hmm. and our kids would go to his house for one week at a time and they'd come to my house for one week at a time. And um, so they didn't disrupt school and that's kind of how things were functioning. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, there's always tells and there's always signs and you always know that something's up. Right. When when you finally recognize, okay, I'm dealing with addiction here. I'm not dealing with um, a normal brain pattern right. or a normal behavior. Mm -hmm. So those signs were coming up. And the kids sort of knew. Mm -hmm. They could see things and they could feel things. And this wasn't right, but I don't know exactly what it is. And um, as things kind of unfolded, um, and I, I did learn what the truth was. I, I actually learned maybe two years ago from my son who interviewed him for a school project Oh, really? that he started using again about a month after we were married. Oh, geez. So he hit it. Yeah. He was so good at it. And, and people have, I, I've taken a lot of crap over this one. Like, how do you not know? How do you not know he's using? How do you not know? How did you not smell the alcohol? I'm telling you, when they want to hide it, mm -hmm. they're good at hiding it. Well, you don't, if you don't have any reason not to trust them, then you wouldn't be looking. No. And when you don't know what it looks like and you don't know what it necessarily smells like, like mm -hmm. when you're talking about 100 proof alcohol, it doesn't always come out on their breath. Mm -hmm. It doesn't always show. Mm -hmm. And it looks different and yeah. for every person. But um, I didn't know. I mm -hmm. didn't know. And there were signs, um, but I, I really truly was so naive to it and so unaccustomed to what it does to a person. And mm -hmm. I was, I had four kids at the time. I was trying to raise them. I had, you know, just get them through, mm -hmm. like teach them to read for crying out loud. Right. <laughs> Change their diapers, potty training, all the mom things that are very consuming. Yeah. All yeah. of those things were going on. Um, well, and if you were, were you Mormon, Mormon at this time? Yeah, I still went to church. So then your husband was a patriarch of your family. And working for BYU. Oh. Oh yeah. It just keeps getting better. Yeah. Like it's, it's like, I can laugh about it now and go, wow, wow, self. Yeah. <laughs> Wake up. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't, I was not awake. I was hoping, mm -hmm. hoping for the best. Yeah. And doing your best, right? Yeah. With yeah. what you had. <clears throat> Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing I think that most of us don't give ourselves that allowance and that grace of, 
Hey, you were just doing, cause I, I mean, there's a lot of your story that I can relate to with my, you know, not the addiction part, but other things that it's like, I've had to go back and go, okay, you did the best with what you knew instead of what in the hell? Yeah. <laughs> Why did I choose into that? Why did I do that? It's like, yeah, I didn't understand narcissism. Yeah. I didn't understand gaslighting. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand that addiction, like they've given up their their soul almost. And they have, they no longer have choice because they're overrun. They are overrun. Yeah. And until you've witnessed it, until you've walked in that, you don't know. Right. And, um, and it played out in so many strange, strange ways. Um, like even with my children, like I've had, we had to remove a child from our home when he was, barely 14 years old because of addiction. And I'm t- when <clears throat> when I talk about addiction, um, pieces that I've realized that are never talked about in LDS culture are pornography, mm-hmm. prostitution, mm-hmm. Um, alcohol, and drugs. Like we, we don't talk about them specifically, nor do we talk about the shame or the grief that goes with them or how, or, or resources or, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Like there, this is a large problem in the community. And I'm not saying like within church community, in community in general. Period. Yeah. Well, doesn't Utah have like the highest in the whole, in the United States, I think Utah has one of the highest prescription ju- drug misuse and overuse. Like there, there's a problem with Utah and that, if I remember correctly. <clears throat> I, I do believe you're correct. And there, but there are a lot of there's a lot of addiction problem here, quite frankly. I remember towards the end of my Mormonship, the pornography started becoming more and more of a thing that was talked about. And there was a wonder, a beautiful woman in our ward who I think she's a psychiatrist or psychologist. I'm not sure, but she, her lessons that she would give in relief society so that we women would understand if our husbands were having issues and talking about the brain and something to, and all of that with addiction was actually really interesting and helpful. And because up until then we didn't have any, yeah, we never really talked about it. So in my ward, it did start becoming something that was talked about more but always with a little bit of an element of, um, as women, I feel like there was always a little bit of an element of you need to take care of your husbands that was still in the undertone. Does it make sense? Oh, yes. Yeah. Like, that's your duty. Mm-hmm. It's your... Um, like almost it's, mothering. Yes. And re- you should yeah. know. You I, should already know how to do this. You should be checking this. their computer. If they're traveling out of town, you should be checking. Like, yeah. I mean, really, wait a minute. Yeah. You should make sure that they're satisfied yeah. so that they're not tempted. It's your job. When they're traveling. It's your job and your responsibility yeah. to make sure that all of these things are taken care of. Yeah. And on top of that, you need to make sure your children are taken care of and you need to make sure that lunches are made or um, you know, the the garden is planted and the canning is done and yada yada How's yada your food yada storage yada. And yeah. the water. Yeah, and where are you on that list? So what I, what happened is I found myself at the very bottom of the list mm-hmm. and I got so sick. Mm-hmm. Um, I look back at pictures and I go, wow, you weren't even in there. You mm-hmm. didn't even have a soul anymore. Mm-hmm. You were so far checked out that you were just surviving. Yeah. Yeah. And the mechanics. It's empty. Like there's, I, I there's one particular, uh, photograph that I have that is like, there's nothing in there mm-hmm. and it's a sad, 
Yeah. It's a sad remembrance of how far I deviated. But also it was um, the status quo. It's the normal of these are all the things that are expected of you. Mm -hmm. And not ever really taking a seat to go, okay, where are you? Are you okay? What do you need? There's no mask. There's no oxygen to myself. Right. And so how can you help others? And I couldn't, I couldn't. And it was a wreck. Well, you mentioned the boundary piece in the very beginning, like that was not something that you knew. And that is something that's not taught in my experience. And I didn't have that either as a kid. And in this situation, it's like, if you have no boundaries, you will be walked all over. Yeah. And you don't even know that you're being walked on. You don't know Mm -hmm. that um, you're getting blindsided. (laughs) Yeah. Literally trampled, blindsided, trampled right um over and over and over and no matter how much you talk or how many conversations you have nothing will change until you set a hard boundary Mm -hmm. and um there was a day that i i walked into our kitchen and on the kitchen table was a needle a ball of heroin and a spoon oh my gosh and i called the police and you know, I had four kids at this right. at home right. that were like under the age of six. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The youngest was six, maybe uh-huh. seven at this time. And I called the police and there's like, there's not really anything you can do unless you catch him. And I'm like, are you kidding? I wow. have children at home and here it is. Right. <clears throat> and um, like, that was very disheartening to me. Uh-huh. And like, how do I protect my own children? Oh, yeah. And, <clears throat> but the final straw came when we had to remove our son from our home and um, he was in juvenile detention facing four felonies. Wow. And um, your son had an addiction. He did. Okay. And cause that's one of the challenges right now. All your children probably have a tendency to be addicts if it runs in your, in their dad's line. Yeah. And it runs deep in mine too. Oh, so they get it on both sides. <clears throat> yeah. So it's, it is a deep, it's a deep addiction mm-hmm. and um, like energetically it's right. that deep addiction of how do we deal with this mm-hmm. and really not knowing and not having the skills to deal with certain things um, like emotions, like, Oh, I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling hopeless, not being able to identify and go, okay, these, these are the emotions. Mm-hmm. And instead of the anxiety comes up and, or the depression comes up or whatever it is, and we just shove it down so far, mm-hmm. we escape mm-hmm. it. We minimize it. Numb like it's out. not that bad yeah. and numbing out. Yeah. yeah. So again, back to the, like the final straw for me was, um, you know, finding the heroin and, and he actually, well, let me back up. There was, <clears throat> there was a time that we were separated And, um, he totaled two, maybe three cars in the matter of two weeks. Oh my gosh. So he drove his car through a house and here I am still like tra la 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 la. And everyone else is screaming at me like, wake up. You've got to wake up. And, um, so I was in the process of going through an, um, an internship mm-hmm. for schooling. And I just didn't have, I didn't have the umph to like confront anything or try to deal with anything else because it yeah. had been this process. I mean, I think we'd probably have been married for like 15 years at this mm-hmm. point. 
And I was like, I can't do it. I just cannot do anymore. So one evening he picked me up from work, from this internship. And I put my things in the back of the car and got in and um, he just sat there. And he said to me, I've got to tell you something. And in my mind, this is how bad, like how much I had checked out. And I, and I do have to laugh at this because like, it's pretty funny me saying this to myself. And I, I, there was this little prayer and I said, dear God, please let him tell me he's having an affair. (laughs) Right. Because then that would be easier to like, Yeah, at least it's something different. At least it's anything other than I have, I'm, I started using this. Yeah. And that's when he first told me, um, look, I started using heroin. I haven't made the mortgage payment in months. And I just sat in shock and we drove home and, um, I couldn't believe it. I seriously was just in such denial and such shock that this is where we were at. And Mm -hmm. how did I miss this? And then, you know, the self-loathing came up and the Mm -hmm. betray, the self-betrayal and, um, just beating the crap out of myself. Yeah. So, um, let's see, where am I going with all this? Telling your story. Yeah. It's traumatic and yeah. That's when I finally got to the point, um, you know, our son had been removed. He told me all of this and I was like, this is it. Mm -hmm. I'm done. You Mm -hmm. have got to go. You need to move out. And, um, he didn't want to do that. He was, he did not want to move out. He didn't want his, his life compromised. And, um, at the same time, I was like, I'm not doing this. Right. You're not willing to take, you know, we've got four kids in crisis. <clears throat> and you, your son had just been removed. Yeah. And at the time, you know, all of us were going to therapy for reals, like seven times a week. Wow. At least, and sometimes more than that, mm-hmm. because we'd go for the, our son and our other kids. And then for us, and then for each individually, it was exhausting. Yeah. So... <clears throat> all of this starts to shift out and um, it it was just crazy making. It was like, I didn't know which way was up mm-hmm. and it had to be a little surreal. It, com- it was completely surreal. Like how did my life get to this point? Mm-hmm. Where did I miss all of this stuff? Yeah. How did I miss A, B and C? If you had to, if the, you now had to answer that question, what would it be? It would be, I didn't know who I was. Yeah. I, it would be, I didn't take care of me. I didn't listen to my own heart anymore. It's almost like I see an image of a young woman that's just got her head down, that's just doing the things that she's told to do and never really looked up to see what had happened. I didn't. And that's a very accurate, articulate um, image because that's exactly how I felt. Mm -hmm. Like when all of this came to the forefront, um, I came up, it was almost like I came up for a gasp of air, like I'd been swimming. Mm -hmm. I came up, I looked around, I didn't recognize the surroundings. And I was like... So probably some cognitive dissonance happening. Absolutely. And that's that's the best way I could survive. Yeah. Like I was just doing things to maintain the Mm -hmm. space for my children Mm -hmm. and so neglecting the relationship and so neglecting, um, my own self. Yeah. Wow. So you guys were married how long before you actually got divorced? Well, you were telling the story up to where you were asking him to move out. What Mm -hmm. happened? 
So he wouldn't move out. And um, so I moved out. Yeah. Which was a huge mistake on my part. I should have um I should have pushed harder for mm. certain things and I should have involved more people. Mm. And I I was just trying to survive. Just like, okay, I can't live here. I cannot be with you. Right. I can't be in the same space. Right. And my kids are torn, you know, mm-hmm. their hearts are breaking and those are their parents. Yeah. And and they've all had some some trauma, like intense trauma. Mm-hmm. And like it it breaks my heart mm-hmm. even now to think to think of my own children not knowing the best way to help them. Right. Or how to um show up. Mm-hmm. And and now, you know, I kind of backpedal with them and go, okay, do this different, do this different. And I can do that now. But then it was just a crazy making, for lack of a better word, shit show. Yeah. And it was stinky and messy and everywhere. Well, and just to clarify for anyone that's interested as far as why that was a mistake for you to move out. I mean, if when you go through divorce, you do not give up the house. The minute you leave the house, I mean, you guys weren't getting divorced at that time. You just were separated. Right. But that's one of the cardinal rules in the state of Utah. The minute you leave the domain, you're forfeit. You're giving up your rights to the house. Well, what I didn't know is the house was in foreclosure mm. because he hadn't made the mortgage payment. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> that on top of everything else, mm-hmm. we were losing the house. And um, if you've ever lost a home, that's pretty traumatic too. Like yeah. this is where my kids grew up. Yeah. And this is where they went to school and this is where they had friends. And now everything has been ripped out. Mm-hmm. And there we start the free fall, the free fall down the black pit of the depths of despair <laughs> to, you know, pull something from the Prince's Bride. <laughs> um, but that's pretty much how it was. It was the depths of despair. Like, I don't even know which way to go. And I truly felt like, you know, how is again, how is this my life? Right. I did A, B, and C. I did all of the right things. Mm-hmm. A, B, and C, one, two, three is supposed to equal X, Y, Z. Yeah. And I remember coming out of that feeling like I did all of these things and A, B, C really equals WTF. <laughs> so you're still Mormon at this point? Um, yeah, but I'm close to leaving. Yeah. And, and I'd been... I'd been on the fence, not for any other reason. Like there were things that didn't make sense to me, Mm -hmm. um, even as I was a kid. But as I got older, I couldn't understand um, because because he worked at BYU. There were such there was such a disconnect between what the church teaches and how BYU is operate how it operates. Mm -hmm. It's a business, yeah. And if you don't conform you are absolutely put in your place mm-hmm. quick. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, and I couldn't make sense of that. It like, it, it wasn't a logical place for my brain to go. Mm-hmm. And, um, so there was that dissonance for me and I started to see much more of the patriarchal, patriarchal, um, put you in your place. If you speak out, if you stand out, if you stand up for yourself and I'm not someone who's going to be quiet, mm-hmm. I'm not going to just sit back and, and, crochet or knit because that's what you tell me to do. Right. And, and, you know, that goes back to like a, a teenager thing where 
this is your role. Mm-hmm. Be the nice little lady, you know, cook, clean, let's have a crochet class or needlepoint and the boys can go play. Mm-hmm. And that was never okay with me. Like, where is the equality? Yeah. And I'm not saying I want to, like, I want, the, I'm not saying, I, I think there should be equality. There should be boundaries and mm-hmm. there should be um, reciprocating kindness and not you hold this role and you hold this role. I have a really hard time with that. That's very rigid. Very rigid. And spirituality isn't rigid. No. And that's what I was starting to understand is there's a spiritual side to you that isn't religious. Mm -hmm. And there's the religious dogma didn't work for me anymore. Mm -hmm. And, um, and as I was leaning out of that and I was trying to adjust to certain things in my own mind, um, I was, I would still go to church and I had callings and, um, I remember one day fighting with my young children to like go to church and, and it was a remembrance of my own childhood of, Mm. of, oh my gosh, I hate Sundays so much. Why is it like this? Why is it so awful? And I had this epiphany and I, I was struggling with this, a young child. I don't even remember how old he was maybe four or five. And the thought, the epiphany was kids and dogs know. Oh, interesting. And I was like, oh, okay, stop fighting. Stop fighting. Mm-hmm. If they don't want to go, this is about you. Mm-hmm. Why are you forcing them to do something they inherently don't even want to do? And it's not about not being fun. It's not about not teaching them correct things. It's about a fight of the spirit. Mm-hmm. And it was, hey, you've disconnected from your own self. You are not going to do that to your children. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, that's a thing that I figured out early is um, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do the same things that I felt were harmful to me, to my own children. Mm-hmm. And that's when I stopped fighting with mm-hmm. my kids about, okay, if you don't want to go to church, you can stay home with dad. You can whatever. I'm going. Um, and that was it. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any more contention. Sunday got a lot better. Yeah. It wasn't the day of meetings and the day of stress and the day of fighting. <laughs> yeah. Banging my head against the wall. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't any of that. Um, so that, that integrated into like teach them correct principles Yeah, and correct. And in my opinion, truth comes in many forms. It doesn't have to, there's not, it's not linear. Mm -hmm. There's more than one way to get to um, where you want to go. But the underlying theme of, of any religion and even spirituality is love and kindness and, and learning that Mm self-compassion. Well, I would say underneath that is peace, right? That intense desire just to have peace. Yes. And peace really has only come for me in the last three or four years. Mm -hmm. And, um, as I've been able to step back with my own stuff and say, you've come a long way. You've had a lot of crappy, crappy things you've had to deal with Mm -hmm. and you've had to rise above and not that I'm anything great or anything special, but it's a more of a, a tenacity of this isn't who I am. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, acknowledging that there's more 
And I'm and also acknowledging that you have been through this and you did go through some hard things and you are still standing. Yes, very much so. And, and actually just leaning into that and letting myself feel the sorrow and yeah. the grief and, um, the wonder of it and the gifts yeah. and, and I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter about it. Like there's a deep, um, gratitude that I have because there have been so many silver linings for me with mm -hmm. this, with this journey and it is a journey. And I recognize his role was to create a catalyst for me to excel. Mm. And I truly believe like Carolyn Meese, um, sacred contracts. Yeah. Like I, like that is a deep, deep internal love of mine is mm -hmm. people come into our lives to mirror back to us or to, um, to give us the opportunity to grow. And they show up in ways that are sometimes reprehensible right. and unimaginable. Mm -hmm. And we can either take it as I'm going to collapse because I can't do this. It's too hard. Or we take it and we go, thank you. Mm -hmm. And somehow it cracks the heart. It cracks the soul. It cracks our belief system of what is right in air quotes and what is wrong in air quotes. Yeah. And where does my, where, where does my heart say? Mm -hmm. And so that's been a good softening place for me and mm -hmm. it's continued. Um, it's continued. That's beautiful. So you, did you officially leave? How, how many years ago? Yes, I did officially leave. Um, I had my name removed. Um, and this, that kind of is a long story too, but in essence, what happened was when we had to remove our son from our home, mm -hmm. um, I was still going to church and the Bishop called me in to his office under the pretense of wanting to talk to me about my son. And he did. And then he dropped the bomb of, and your husband told me you're having an affair. Okay. And, um, which was not true. It, it, it was true. Oh, okay. But the part that caught me off guard was Taylor and I hadn't been living together. Oh, you guys were separated. We were separated. Um, divorce papers had been final or uh, filed. <clears throat> they weren't signed. Uh -huh. And, um, it was hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. It was hypocrisy in its deepest form because it was something that I knew about him. And it was like years and years and years that he'd been going down that road. Right. And not just, well, there was lots of stuff like prostitutes and escorts and all kinds of things. Hmm. So the part that caught me off guard was that, well, the part that I was like, this witch hunt is over, mm -hmm. was saying one thing and it's a different thing. Mm -hmm. And also being super, like, that's not who I am. I'm not, um, I'm not that cheater. Right. I'm not that, I'm not a person who lives like that. Mm -hmm. But I also gained huge compassion for people that do that. Like where I was at, I had a, I had a good friend who said it this way. I was at such a state in my life, it could have been the devil himself and I would have done it. Mm -hmm. So there's lack of self-esteem. There's lack, there's just so much lack. 
there's not, there's lack and there's a disconnect from who you are. Mm-hmm. And um, even for me, that was a wake up call. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing to yourself? Yeah. You need to, you need to stop doing the, all of this destructive behavior. Mm-hmm. Stop beating yourself up. Stop. Just stop doing this. Get yourself back into line. Mm-hmm. So while it's not easy for me to talk about that and it's not easy because people judge that so deeply and mm-hmm. so like you're flawed and, and yeah, I'm flawed. I am all kinds of things and you can say whatever you want about me. Who is, who's perfect? I don't think anybody would raise their hand. Yeah. Well, you know, if you really want to cast the stone, go ahead Yeah, and we can, we I can doubt anyone listening would cast a stone. They may, they may not, but that isn't, that isn't about me either. Yeah. And there are certain things that I've learned uh, that, you know, other people's opinions aren't necessarily about me. Well, and the irony behind that is one of the hardest things for people in leaving religion is for fear of what other people will think or how they will react. So there's such a ir- irony and a hypocrisy there with you know, not judging others, but then also being so worried about what, that it dictates our behavior, or dictates what we do. And so then we do things more in, in the shadows because of what we're afraid of. And, you know, you know, you and I both hold a very strong belief and I'm assuming you do because of conversations we've had. So I'll just talk to myself that everything that we choose in life and every experience that we choose in life, there's a reason for it. There's always learning and always growth in everything that we're choosing, even having affairs. Exactly. And I had, you know, I wrote, I wrote a book that I burned and actually I'm rewriting it as we speak and it will get published again. And I talk about some personal things and one of them is that with myself. And I remember having a moment of never say never. Like the minute we, we go, oh, I would never do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you should check yourself. Yeah. And you better do it quick yeah. because that, those words will often, this is what, from my personal experience, those words will often come back to bite you really hard. Yeah. And, um, and they are hard lessons and there, there's a lot of self-forgiveness that have, that goes into getting past that. Well, a lot of self-awareness with all of these things, depending on who you are, there are some, there, there, (laughs) there's something for everyone. Right. And depending on who you are, some people do it to numb out and then they're not conscious of why they're choosing an experience. Um, and others that are very conscious or become conscious of it afterwards. And there's certain people that come into our lives to assist us in breaking open, like you so eloquently spoke earlier. And those are some of the greatest gifts, even though they come with a lot of pain. Yeah. And it did, it did come with a lot of pain. All Mm -hmm. of that was just like, wow, where did you go? Yeah. Well, I wanted to touch back on the kid part because, um, I know for me, and I just had another example of this in my own personal experience with my kids and my ex, and um, I had a woman, I was recounting my child's experiences that he had had and some trauma at, at very young ages, and why on earth would you ever let him continue to go to his dad's house? And it's like, well, <laughs> um, you know, and this is this is something that I'm sure people are, you knew he's an addict, and yet you were letting your kids still go over to his house. I'm curious. I'm curious. Do you want to speak to that? Yeah. So there was part of me, he just, he, he'd been out of rehab. So part of our, um, part of the divorce agreement was, um, 
if if I have any reason to suspect that you're using or any, you know, putting the children in jeopardy, I can ask for a drug test mm-hmm. at any given moment. If you come up dirty for any reason, you will lose custody, period. Right. And I truly believe that children need both parents and to a healthy point. So I'm going to interject for just a minute. When I was going through a custody evaluation, um, which is the legal system and that whole process is extremely painful. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, But I went to a therapist Mm -hmm. and uh, she said to me, she said, you know, I know as a mother and especially a mama bear, we want to protect our kids. And one of the worst things that we can do, even when it's an unhealthy circumstance, is to take our children away from their parent, any parent, because they will be seeking for that relationship the rest of their life. Yes. And it was a like, it just whacked me. And it's like, okay, okay. Yeah. And again, it's part of, okay, can I trust this? Can I forgive them? And what's in the best interest of my child? Mm -hmm. And that's the standpoint I was coming from. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a, I'm going to stick it to you. There was none of that for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when he was good, he was very, very good. But when he was bad, he was horrid. And he was still their father. Yeah. He's still their father. And I truly believe he had, like, it was a gift for him. Mm-hmm. from him to them to show up exactly as he did. So they have the contrast. So they know, um, okay, I can choose this or I can choose this. And it's very, it it's not always obvious to them mm-hmm. at, at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he died, it was very hard because they couldn't see past, they, they still have a hard time seeing past the addiction. And how did he choose that over me? Mm-hmm. It's not a choice for him, yeah. but- um, they were happy and he didn't, my children Mm -hmm. going back and forth, they were happy. And, um, it wasn't ideal like for me to have them there because he worked like it was, it was, I was always nervous. Right. How could you not be? Yeah. That's where you kind of have to let go. I did have to let go. I had to let go of the control piece Mm -hmm. and, um, I had to let go of, my expectation and my outcome Mm -hmm. and they should have their homework done and they should come back and they should have blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And they didn't. And we had to start over, which is a very common thing. Like they go to the, the dad's house or they go to the mom's house, the fun parent. Mm -hmm. I I would not consider myself the fun parent. (laughs) You were mom, you were getting things done. We have rules, we have structure, we have, we have bedtime and then we can have fun. (laughs) Yeah. When all of the must do's are done, then we can have fun. When A, B and C are done, then maybe we can have fun, whatever that might be. You know, I, as you have been sharing your story and you were talking about that experience that you have had that you've never had since, has there been a, any parts of you that have been mad at God? Very much, very much. And, um, and in fact, when this situation happened with the Bishop, I mm-hmm. was like, deuces, I'm yeah. done. Right. I am done with religion. I am done with God. I am done. Right. And you can just kiss it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and for truly like, I don't care. Right. I don't care what you say or how you think this is my experience. And if this is who God is, then I'm out. Right. This has not been my experience previous to this, Mm -hmm. that, you know, there was compassion, there was guidance, there was, um, humility, there was, 
there was all of those things. But mm -hmm. again, this is a human being human in, in right. his role, in his stewardship, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where I couldn't discern yeah. was a human having a human moment. And I took it out on God for a long time. Even, um, even it's only truly been in the last maybe six or seven months that I've app that I've even cracked it. Mm. And that was hard. That was through therapy. And that was through, um, some deep work mm -hmm. with my ex-husband letting some things go. And, yeah. and when that happened, I could see where I had walled off my heart so thick mm -hmm. and so deep that there was, there was no light. Yeah for lack of a better word. And even though there is light and there's lots of intuition and there's lots of compassion, there was no room for God. Mm -hmm. And ironically, like, and I, you know, ironically, um, I had someone in, that's significant in my life say to me, you need Jesus. <laughs> and I was like, I'll decide. Mm -hmm. And kind of mocking that, I found this little Jesus dancing figurine. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't even remember what it's called. Jesus and the 12 apostles doing the Humpty Dump or something like that. <laughs> like it's actually kind of funny. Like That's it's a little bobblehead Jesus. Yeah. Um, and when I found that, I mockingly took it back. And I was like, hey, I found Jesus. Uh -huh. And he was like, yeah, you're real funny. Um, but that's as far as I could go. I couldn't. Jesus, I, Jesus is funny, by the way. I th Well, that's my experience. I think he's hilarious. Mm -hmm. But that's as far as I could go. I couldn't, I, I kind of had to do it in a mocking way. I had yeah. to do it in a sarcastic, humorous, I couldn't, I couldn't go there. I couldn't go there in my heart still yeah. with God or Jesus or, or anything on that level because it was, it was so unfamiliar to my soul. Mm -hmm. Well, and there was a lot of pain connected. Yeah. There. And there's still pain that comes up. Like I can't understand this. Like my brain, my human brain cannot understand certain things. Yeah. Um, but then I just have to go, okay, dear little ego, you've got to stay, have a little seat over here mm -hmm. and take a time out. Yeah. And then I can come back to it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's been a journey. It's been 12 years and six of those he's been gone. Mm -hmm. And only in truly the last six months have I been able to um, come back and acknowledge like literally acknowledge God has walked with me. Mm -hmm. um, and and God is not the same God that I grew up with. Right. It's a very different version of of my higher self. Mm -hmm. And and that was that took me a minute. Like mm -hmm. how do I reconcile this yeah. with um what I was taught and and beliefs and maybe core beliefs that I need to undo mm -hmm. about where things are and who things are and who am I right. based on all of these um, beliefs. And, and what are you wanting? Yeah. What do I right? want now? What do I yeah. want to create now? So it's become a place of creation for me, mm -hmm. um, a place of reconnecting to my own heart mm -hmm. in a very literal way and a letting go. And that letting go leaves me very, vulnerable, mm -hmm. which is a very, very uncomfortable place for me. Yeah. Um, because it does bring up fear. It does bring up shame. It does bring up, um, 
inadequacies and less than. Mm. And, and sometimes I have to remind myself, this was not about you. This was for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we were talking before we even recorded, and I, this is a practice that I find myself continually leaning into is the discomfort. When we're asking for something new, it never feels comfortable ever. So our natural safety mechanisms start popping up. Our subconscious is like, wait a minute, and freaking out. And that doesn't, in fact, I've been watching The Chosen and there's this scene, and I can't even remember who's talking to who, but it's the it's the one apostle. Have you watched The Chosen? I haven't. There's one apostle that is depicted. He's like the he's depicted as having like you think he probably has Asperger's. He's very high functioning, you know, very kind of analytical with his mm-hmm. mind. And he's talking to one of the other apostles, and he goes, "But I don't feel that this is true." And he's like, "Well, the feeling won't necessarily come. You have to believe first. And then, then the feeling will come later. And for me to like, when I was watching it, I'm like, oh, I needed to hear that in this, in this moment. But it is something that, you know, especially as those that are listening, that if you're, you know, thinking that you want something different, it will not feel comfortable because you've never been here. I can literally say I have been uncomfortable for the last 12 years. (laughs) Well, that sucks. Well, I guess you can take it as that sucks mm-hmm. and because it's discomfort and it's yeah. like, oh, what is next? The other, when is the other shoe going to drop? I've been in that state, but part yeah. of that is a trauma response. Right. Yeah. Part of that is just the, that whole HPA axis is being overloaded, mm-hmm. but part of it is a growth state too. Yeah. And learning like, okay, I'm uncomfortable and starting to ask myself questions. Okay. Is this a neurological thing? Mm-hmm. Is this a mineral deficiency? That is a gift yeah. when you can be it, when you can start asking yourselves the questions of why am I uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Where is this coming from? C- can I do anything about it? Is Where this do even I, mine? Yeah. Do I need to let this go? Mm-hmm. Those are beautiful questions. And yeah. those are, um, I think those are questions that come from being uncomfortable because we will do as human beings, almost anything to get rid of that discomfort. Right. Instead of leaning into it, or just because it gets our attention. Yes. So pay attention. Yeah. The pain is the, is the gift. Mm -hmm. And I have learned that. And that is something that, um, that I'm actually really good at is Mm -hmm. going, okay, here's the pain. This is the symptom. Now where's the root? Right. What is it? Right. So throughout your whole story, I keep thinking about, are you familiar with the book, the little soul in the sky? No. And I may have referenced it on another podcast, but um, I was actually, when I was first leaving religion, I had this quite, this series of questions postured to me because I was going through some trying to, I was having a lot of anger towards my soon-to-be ex-husband. And, and then I learned just recently that there's a book that goes along the same premise. And essentially what it is, is, you know, let's say you believe in past lives and that we have multiple lifetimes. And it's talking about this little soul in the sky that has this belief. And in every lifetime, we go in for learning, for growth, for understanding, because that's why we're choosing in. We're always choosing in for growth. So every time we choose into a life, we're choosing different experiences because only through everything, I mean, we've I've been listening to your story and it's like, oh, my heart. And yet I cannot know physically and somatically and emotionally and mentally everything that you went through. Only you can. And all the growth, all the learning. And that's why this little soul in the sky would choose these experiences. And so let's say then that you travel in soul families. So you turn to these individuals, like your ex-husband, and say, will you play out this role for me? 
And he graciously did. And, and I truly, did. truly believe that in my heart. And your children chose into both of you as their parents. As their parents. Yes. And I believe that. And that this was one of the things that was such a godsend to me in that time in my life, because it gives a different perspective and a different level of having compassion and empathy and to a perspective for our children. You know, your children are learning skills or learn skills that you didn't have. Absolutely. Same thing with mine. You know, they've had different experiences in their life that I never had to go through, but they're going through and they are learning some skills that will be godsends to them for the rest of their lives. And in turn to the generations that follow yes. and to their their circle of influence mm-hmm. because they they are they are that light and i believe that i yeah. watch that with not only my own children but my siblings children and my colleagues children and my friends children and um they're they're quite unique mm-hmm. and i i i kind of have to lean into this a little bit and go here's the chain break. Yeah. This is where it, like I, I said, no more. Mm-hmm. We're not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. We're, we don't need to play small. We don't need to have division. We, we can be united yeah. and, and it is a gift. You're not a victim. Mm-hmm. I'm not a victim. And that mm-hmm. took me a long time to kind of comprehend that. Okay. All of these things happened but I'm not a victim to them. Mm-hmm. I don't have to believe that. I yeah. can choose to believe these happened for my elevation. Mm-hmm. And so there's the victim mentality you can go down or you can, you know, go to the growth mindset of, okay. This is why I chose this. Yeah. Where, yeah. where do I get to grow? Yeah. And where, how do I ask the hard questions and how do I get back up again when all I really want to do is, you know, lay down mm-hmm. and have a dirt nap. Right. Well, and I especially I was thinking about that, especially with the first God moment with, you know, you were to marry this man, even though look at, you know, if you looked at what transpired, it's like, maybe it's because all these children were exactly where they were supposed to be. And you did played out everything you were supposed to, the, the, to your point of the sacred contracts. Yeah. Carolyn, you you pronounce her last name differently than I do. Well, Mace, Miss, Mace, Miss, Meese, I don't know. Like I've heard M-Y-S-S. it. I've heard it so many different ways. So Please forgive me. Oh no, I I, if, I didn't know if, if maybe I'm saying it right. I always <laughs> just say Carolyn Miss. I've never heard yes. her pronounce it. I know we're gonna go Google that right now. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I I do believe in that, yeah. and I so um I. like even as far as the work that I've done, uh, you know, occupation wise, it has been a gift mm-hmm. to those that I've come across, and yeah. I know that. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Was there anything else that you would like to share? Um, let's see. I think, I think one of, I, I've recently listened. Oh, and I can't remember what it was. Um, I can't remember. It was a podcast that I was listening to and they were talking about, um, martyrdom. Mm. And I think that's a long story that is in, many religions, particularly mm-hmm. for women. Mm-hmm. And what I want to say to that is <clears throat> marriage is optional. <laughs> Children are optional, mm-hmm. but knowing who you are is not optional. Yeah. And self-sacrifice is not godlike. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. That's, those are the biggest lessons that I have learned mm-hmm. is that, um, 
Just because I watched it doesn't mean it's true. Just because I learned it doesn't mean it's true. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone is really resonating with your story, what what advice would you give them if they're in the midst of something similar? Um, don't underestimate your intuition. Mm. Don't minimize addiction. Yeah. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. And that will suck your soul out. And you will lose yourself in that. You will you will get caught in the gaslight. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of resources, and it doesn't. You don't have to go to AA. Um, there are find a therapist, find mm-hmm. a really good therapist. Um, mm-hmm. I know EMDR works for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that worked for me, but I did later learn that when you've had this kind of trauma to this like to the degree that it went to, which I didn't even quite cover all of it. Right. Um, it re-triggers the trauma. EMDR does? EMDR for me did. So NLP, I would highly recommend. Yes. And there's another one, um, that works with the eyes. Yes. Rapid eye therapy. Thank you. Um, we can talk about the science behind that at a whole other hour if you want, (laughs) but the eyes are amazing. There's a reason they're called the window to our souls of the, Mm -hmm. of the 12 cranial nerves that we have Mm -hmm. for 25% of them go to the eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's significant. So, um, somatic release, um, therapy, all yeah. of that is important mm-hmm. and giving yourself a break. Like I've had to learn to, to talk myself off the ledge. Like it's okay if I do something nice for me, mm-hmm. it's okay if I say no, mm-hmm. it's okay if I don't answer the phone or respond back or right any of those things. It's okay if I choose me mm-hmm. over everyone else. Mm-hmm. It's not selfish. And that was really hard for me to accept. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is for a lot of women. Yeah. A lot of women that have had children and yeah. Yeah. Um, this question keeps popping up. So I'm going to ask it. Did you ever regret leaving the Mormon religion at the time that you did? No, never. Um, I, I don't have animosity. I don't speak ill of it. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work for me anymore. It was a growth process. And I'm like, I'm so understanding and so grateful that it is a foundation for so many people and any any type of organized religion is. But it was, my journey is now between me and God and not anyone else. And and there are certain principles for me that are for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is not... There's, there's never been one second of, did I like second guessing myself? Did mm-hmm. I do the right thing? I was curious because I know a lot of people, especially that have a lot of trauma going on in their lives, the church is actually quite a safe haven. Like they're very mm-hmm. helpful. You know, the Relief Society, the just a lot of different things with how they're able to come in and help and assist in different things like that. So that's so why I was curious. Yeah, I th- um, for me, not so, it wasn't that way, but mm-hmm. I am kind of that way. Like once I'm, once I'm done, I'm done. You're out. Yeah. And, um, and there wasn't anything negative for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it just didn't work anymore. Yeah. And part of that was my choice. And part of that was questions being asked, but a lot of people like, ironically, the other day, my daughter asked me, were you excommunicated? Mm-hmm. And I said, no. Mm -hmm. because I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And she was like, really? I don't know where I learned that. (laughs) So I'm glad we clarified that. So even the stories that my children have of me or the ideas they have 
are not necessarily true. Yeah. And so I am, I'm, I work at making sure they understand the information. And I, I don't have like, this is your choice. If you went down this road and this is mm-hmm. the choice that you made, I would support you. I would love you. I don't care right. because you're still my child and, and this is your that. life yeah. and you get to choose. So, yeah. um, and again, I, I spent years being angry mm-hmm. and more than anything, I spent years being angry at myself and disappointed in myself. I abandoned myself yeah. and that was, that's hard. That's yes. hard to, um, to, to reconcile mm-hmm. and not blame. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're not angry and mad at yourself anymore. Me too. It's, it really has been a good space. It's yeah. a good space for me. Yeah. Was there anything else that you'd like to? I don't think so. I'm, I'm yeah. really grateful Thank that you. you invited me here. Thank you. This was a very vulnerable story. So I appreciate you sharing it. I think there was a little vulnerability on both our side of both our sides. I'm like, crap, did I want to share some of that about myself today? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's it is vulnerable. Yeah. And there are things that we do hold on to, but in the holding on, how often do we suffocate ourselves? Oh, hundred percent. I think it's always just that awareness of in what context and in what and what arenas do I want this to be out? And that's always the kicker. Yes. And right? it is a context thing. For mm-hmm. sure. Like <clears throat> you have to know the timeline to understand how everything kind of shakes out oh, yeah. and everybody's timeline and everybody has a story and, mm-hmm. and no one is perfect. And well, and this is where can we please, for the love of God, just have empathy and compassion for each other as just human beings doing our best. Amen. We're, we're so much more alike than we are different. Yeah. Like, you know, peel off our skin and we're all the same. Yeah. And, and everybody has a story and everybody wants to feel loved. And I mean, trauma is kind of one of our, our words mm-hmm. at this time, because, but everyone has trauma mm-hmm. and pain is pain. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how much or how little it hurts. Pain yeah. is pain and yeah. nobody's is more or less than someone else. And that is something else I've learned, oh, which has brought a huge level of compassion for me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, thank you. I so appreciate and just love you. I love you you. too. And I'm (laughs) glad to be here. Thanks. Wow. This was another truly beautiful episode and I am so honored to be able to hold space for her, for you, for, for really all of this, this opportunity that that I have to do this podcast is truly humbling. And I, my heart is just so full of gratitude I was not planning on sharing some of those personal things that I shared with you in this episode. And so while we're here, I want to mention that I am rewriting a book that I released over a year ago that dives into my relationships in hopes that it assists you and any of you that are really trying and looking for your true love and what that really means. So make sure you're subscribed to my email list so that you can be one of the first to know when my book re-releases Love and the Spaces in Between. Head over to my website, amandajoyloveland.com. And as always, remember that you are not alone, that we are all in this together and that you matter. What you do on this life in this life matters. Your footsteps are recognized upon this earth. Sending you all so much love. Love.